On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in to a Wednesday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. Chachi right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. We are live from Las Vegas, live from the Encore Hotel. Got to enjoy the heart attack that was the Yankees' 11th straight victory against the Atlanta Braves. And I will say this, this podcast is going to be a lot more fun. Not that our podcasts aren't fun to begin with, but it's going to certainly be a lot more lively because I am basically coming off the heels of watching that game at the Encore Sportsbook with a couple of shekels on the New York Yankees. And let's just put it this way. That is one of those games that if it was played, let's say, in mid-October as opposed to playing the game in the middle of August, it's the sort of game that would take about 15 years off of your life. And to think... I actually thought maybe for the second day in a row, it was going to be easy peasy for the Yankees. The Yankees haven't had many games like that. Monday night was one of those games. Comfortable lead, comfortable margin, no drama in the ninth inning, nothing to worry about. After LeMayu, after Odor, after the Yankees build a two-run lead, they escape a couple of crazy plays on the bases where the umpires let's call it like it is, gave the Yankees the benefit of the doubt. I thought Freddie Freeman, for starters, on the Velasquez play, was safe, and I thought that tied the game. There was another play at second base with Austin Riley, where I also thought he was safe. So I thought the Yankees, from you know an umpiring standpoint, were two for two. Two-run lead, Chapman coming in, second night in a row, and Chapman is awful. I don't want to hear about the Odor play. I don't want to hear that that would have been the last out of the ninth inning. Chapman had zero feel for the fastball. 
He was throwing a lot harder. He was getting it up to 100, 101 miles an hour, which is what you want to see, but you did not see command. To the point where Odor butchers that play. Why Tyler Wade's not in the defense, I have no idea. But then Chapman can't throw a strike. He loses Solaire. He walks in a run. And this way, you got to give Aaron Boone credit. Aaron Boone basically said, I am not going to let a Roldis Chapman decide the fate of this game. He yanked them out of bases loaded, two outs, ninth inning with Freddie Freeman at the plate. That's some gutsy managing right there. Chapman's making a boatload of money. He's making a lot more than Wandy Peralta. And basically, the manager told you, hey, guess what? I can't trust you right about now. And I know Chapman threw a little hissy fit after the fact. I don't know if he's mad at himself. I don't know if he's mad at Aaron Boone. I don't know if he's mad at Rugnet Odor. But guess what, dude? After that error is made, go and throw strikes. Don't walk in a run. But in comes the savior, Wandy Peralta, against one of the best hitters in baseball. The NL MVP from a year ago. One of those guys that you look at where you say, in a big spot, in a big situation, you don't want to see him at the plate. Like, if I could list five guys in baseball that I would not want to see with the game on the line, Freddie Freeman is one of those dudes. And he had an epic at bat. He's up 3-1 in the count. He fouled off a couple of pitches that I thought were incredibly hittable. He fouled off a couple of really tough pitches that I thought were great pitchers' pitches, if you will. But 3-2, game on the line, gets the fly out to end it. I'm going nuts in the sports book. I'm basically grabbing art as we speak. And the Yankees win their 11th game in a row. I want to preach the positive, not the negative. When you got an 11-game winning streak, I'm sorry. I've done plenty of belly aching about the Yankees this year. I think anybody who's listening to New York, New York podcast knows exactly where I'm coming from. And rightfully so. They gave the Yankee fan, like you and I, who's out there listening, plenty to bellyache about, plenty to bitch about. They win a game like this, I'm preaching the positive, not the negative. But here is the kind of elephant in the room that I think the Yankees are going to have to be mindful of and then have, dare I say, be real with as we move forward. You got to have a lot of concern about Aroldis Chapman in the ninth inning of these games. And yeah, I guess Jonathan Loisig is a guy that you have more confidence in at this point in time. The Yankees are going to keep trotting Chapman out there to close games. They're going to do it. But what I want to see especially in the playoffs. You may not see it in a regular season, but in the playoffs, any option has got to be on the table. Meaning if I got to have a starter come in like the last three World Series champions did and close out games, so be it. Now, I don't know who that starter is. I have, I have no idea if it's Severino, if it's Kluber, whoever, if it's Cole, if you're in an elimination spot, I'm not going to be hesitant to do so. Because right now, I can't say in good faith, and I can't say with a whole lot of confidence that I trust Aroldis Chapman in the ninth inning. He's going to close for now, but it's a short leash. And credit Boone, because Boone saw it coming, didn't let Chapman get Freddie Freeman. He said, I'm going to Wandy Peralta. And for Peralta to come in, bases loaded, 
two outs against Freddie freaking Freeman in a full count and get a big out? That's some ballsy, ballsy pitching right there. So the Yankees now have found a way to sweep these two games in Atlanta. They get no help from the Philadelphia Phillies, unfortunately. And this is why I keep preaching the fact that Tampa's going to win this division. Tampa's not yucking up this lead. But the brand of baseball that the Yankees are playing, they're aggressive. They're making much better plays in the field. They're running the bases a lot better. It's, it's fun to watch. Not going to lie. It is fun to watch. Wonder if the Yankees are going to have a flat game here after sitting out on Sunday, after winning all these games in a row. Not to be. And now they got to ramp up because they got four big ones with the Oakland A's where they can really start to separate themselves if they play well from being that first wild card and then everybody else. Let Boston and Oakland duke it out to see who that final team is going to be. Solidify that first wild card. Make sure you're playing that game at Yankee Stadium. And then maybe you could start fantasizing about the American League East. But that's my focus in Yankee land. Oh, baby. I need to go for a nice, brisk, long walk after that game. Or I need myself a cocktail. One or the other. Now, I have a little bit of a confession. And if you follow me on Twitter, I think you guys and gals know exactly where I'm going with this. I was dumb enough to bet on the New York Mets today. Now, I bet on the Yankees. I did. I cashed that ticket. I was happy about that. But as I got out of the pool, and I'm like fantasizing about my day and all the baseball I'm going to watch, I saw the Met line moving in their favor and the public pounding the San Francisco Giants. And I actually had the thought of going to a sports book and placing a ticket on a New York Mets. That was a stupid move. <laughs> Let's call it like it is. That was me being an absolute idiot because the Mets played one of those games that was basically over before it began. The Giants, who continue to be this sort of surprise team within the National League, you keep waiting for the San Francisco Giants to fall apart at the seams. It doesn't happen. They score one in the first. They score two in the third. They beat up McGill. And you can't even kill McGill. McGill has given the Mets far more than anybody could have possibly imagined with the injuries. But again, the storyline remains the same. Yeah, McGill stunk. Yeah, the Mets gave up eight runs. The Mets get shut out. On a day where they welcome Francisco Indoor back into the lineup, a nice 0 for 4, by the way, for the 300 plus million dollar man. The Mets get shut out. They don't hit. I don't know how many times I need to say it. I don't know how many times I need to transcribe it for you. The Mets don't score runs. They're one of the worst offensive teams in all of baseball. They get a major favor from the Yankees. The Yankees just go and beat the Atlanta Braves two games in a row. You got an opportunity to take advantage. And this is how you start the homestand off. Giving up eight runs and 15 hits and then getting shut out over five hits to the Giants. And the cavalcade of pitchers. By the way, the Giants throwing a guy today who had a four and a half or a 480 array after throwing five shutout innings. My goodness. This is why I have a hard time believing even with all these games against the Marlins on the schedule and the Nationals on the schedule, why am I supposed to believe 
the Mets are going to catch the Atlanta Braves. You tell me. Watch the Atlanta Braves and watch the New York Mets. You think they're making up that ground in that amount of time? Maybe the Mets win a couple of games here in this series. Maybe they do. But why am I supposed to believe they're making six and a half games up between now and the end of the year? I don't see it. And I know these narratives can change and I know they can flip. Something has remained the same for the Mets all year. They don't score runs. We got a loaded show. My buddy Arthur Caesar got to watch the Yankees with me. He's going to join us a little bit later on. We'll have some fun with some NFL futures. And he could kind of transcribe how my emotions were racing and going up and down, especially over that ninth inning. We'll welcome in a Hall of Famer to the show. Anytime I can welcome a Hall of Famer to the show, you know it's a good night. The great John Smoltz over at the MLB Network and Fox Sports is going to join us. Voicemails, trivia, we got you all covered. It's New York, New York. Let's welcome in John Smoltz. He's coming up next. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. So we're fired up to welcome in to New York, New York for the first time, the Hall of Famer, the MLB Network, Fox Sports extraordinaire, John Smoltz. And John, you know, I was thinking about this, knowing you were coming on the show. It's pretty crazy. You've been doing the World Series now since 2016 for Fox. Does it does it feel that long? Like for me now, big games, you and Joe Buck, it's almost getting to a point where it's institution. I think that's a good thing. You feel that way. Yeah, it's fine. It's been awesome. You know, I started out obviously with the Chicago Cubs and I can't believe that was my first World Series, the one that they won, which was historic in itself. And it seems like most of them have gone six or seven, seven games, which is cool when you get to the World Series. But um, I feel most at home in those, those, those kind of games. Obviously, as a player, I had a lot of experience in the postseason. And as a broadcaster, I'm just trying to bring those experiences to the viewer and try to give them kind of a taste of what it would be like or what people are thinking, what the cat and mouse game's going on. And so it's been, it's been, it is by far the most enjoyable part of the year. And so it's also the hardest work that I do because it's the most preparation and probably the most grind that I'll put into uh, October. Cause I'll be gone the entire month of October. Do you feel like you have a leg up in doing games, knowing how many big games you pitched in, for your entire career with the Atlanta Braves going through like decision-making going through how to attack a hitter. Like I feel like this certain insight and perspective that other guys, listen, John, they're not going to be able to do it because they haven't pitched in those games. They haven't been in those situations. You feel that playing experience in many ways gives you a leg up when you're doing a game. I think the first three years it did. But then after that, the game has changed so much philosophically. You're trying to catch up to what teams are trying to do, what young players are following the information. The information has changed. So luckily for me, I've had a lot of veteran pitchers at that time of the year that I can think right with them. They know what I know. And the younger pitcher, not so much. It's more of a flip of the coin when it comes to what, the information and the big game that I would be familiar with, they're given different information. They're not 
really asked to go seven, eight, nine innings. So it's kind of short stints, max effort. And quite honest, I've had to learn how to adapt to that because if a young guy's on the mound and it calls for a slider down and away, because he's, I can read the bat, I can read the batter, and I know the situation. That's not the case so much anymore. They're going off of a script of information that tells them what to do instead of how to react. And so the veteran guys kind of know how to read and react. And, you know, whether it's a Chapman in the first World Series against the Cubs, knowing he was tired, knowing that force velocity is not as good as late life, he was, he was exhausted. And I can remember that at bat against where he gave up the two-run homer. And, and as, a, as a person who had been in, as a player who had been in that situation, the only, I said, the only area he can't, can't throw the ball was the one area he did. And that was because of fatigue. And so those kind of things that, that I can recall and know are, are an advantage for me, no doubt. John, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm giddy about my beloved New York Yankees. Six weeks ago, I thought they were dead to rights. They were a 500 team. They were spinning their wheels. And you did a bunch of those games when they were struggling mightily with the Boston Red Sox. And you had an opportunity to see them in Iowa. You've now watched them over the last couple of weeks. What, in your opinion, is the biggest difference? Is it as simple as the lefty bats have changed the entire look and feel of the team? Because I see them running the bases differently. I see them playing defense differently. Like, there's just a different look and swagger when it comes to the 2021 New York Yankees. So, from your standpoint, what's been the big difference? What's the big change? Well, the biggest difference, and I was one that didn't give up on them. I know it was real easy to look at the numbers. They were a terrible running team. They hit in the most double plays. They couldn't do anything. They were unathletic. The glass was half empty for most of the country. And I just said, look, they're going to start slugging. They're going to make trades. Nobody could envision the amount of injuries, the COVID. They've been through it all. But the younger guys energized this club. The guys you would never know about in AAA came up just for a moment and started changing the dynamics. They became more rootable because you didn't know what you were going to get. You got more base running, got more stolen bases, and the influence of that is still there. And I mean, Velasquez, I mean, what can you say about what he's done? Um, to me, Wade is, is, is a baseball player. He may not be one of those guys that you know, you're going to read at the end of the year unbelievable statistics. He can do it all. He can run. He can bunt. He can field. He can he can play defense. So when they made the trade for Anthony Rizzo, that was, for me, the completion of what the Yankees were going to be able to do to turn around. Joey Gallo was no different than the current Yankees. He's a swing and miss guy, threat at the plate, runs into a home run, and walks. But it wasn't going to change the dynamics by itself. When they knew, when I said on the desk here at MLB Network, I said, this can't be it. Everyone got excited. Joey Gallo, of course, why wouldn't you? Short porch, can leave anywhere. I said, this can't be it. There has to be another piece. And when they signed or traded for Anthony Rizzo, to me, that's a game changer. It's a locker room changer. It's a lineup changer. And they now can't be as pitched to as easily as they once were. And then lastly, they've just outpitched the rest of the league lately. And you wouldn't know that by wholesale names. Again, a bunch of arms in the bullpen have come up huge. 
what were the Yankees' stress, strengths when the season started? They were going to slug you to death, and they were going to bullpen you to death. Well, neither one of them was working. The prototypical bullpen was broken down because they had to use more pieces. <laughs> Loizaga has been unbelievable. Uh, there have been so many. I said this, when they get to the playoffs, it'll be the hardest playoff shares the team that anyone's ever had to go through. And the playoff shares is you vote on players because you had so many players contribute. This will be the hardest thing for them. But yes, those things change the dynamics of the New York Yankees. And I think you bring up a really good point with Rizzo. I felt exactly the same way you did. Doesn't strike out, puts the ball in play. And John, I think about guys who have given this Yankee team fits. Charlie Morton, Avaldi, like that hard-throwing righty. When you got three, four, five of the same sort of hitter, I don't care what the advanced stats tell you over 162 games. In a playoff scenario, you're going to be a lot easier to pitch to. Now, yeah, I see Rizzo there. I see Gallo there. Even though Dora's giving them good at bats, I think those guys like Avaldi even saw it the other day when they faced the Yankees didn't have the same sort of success because, hey, the lineup is going to look a lot different. There's no doubt. When you look at a lineup card for the New York Yankees, the pitcher right away goes to, where can I go for strikeouts? And unfortunately, up until this recent stretch, there were too many places you could go for strikeouts. The Yankees are built differently than most. They're built to slug their way to the playoffs, like I said, and bullpen their way to the playoffs. The issue has always been, when they go up against great pitching, can they hit great pitching? They've got a better chance today than they have based on the way they were going. And let's face it, most of their guys were cold. So when you're out of rhythm, it looks bad. You hit into double plays. You swing and miss a lot. And yes, they were too right-handed. But what I've always said is if the right-handers are doing their thing, then they're never known as too right-handed. And they just weren't doing their thing. So this balance is going to make it much more difficult on teams. Okay, you saw the White Sox a couple weeks ago. They're legit. Their pitching's terrific. They got so many young stars. Tampa, everybody sleeps on them, John, but it's amazing. They lose guys. They keep churning. They're amazing. Cash is amazing. Their front office is amazing. I'll never sleep on them. And the Astros are having a hell of a year. So when you're handicapping the American League, and I know a lot can change and a lot can happen between now and the month of October, do you see a front runner to get to the World Series as of you know, mid-August, give or take? I mean, the things that I know right now, if the current trends with the Rays continue, I'm going to say it's going to be harder for them because they're leading all of baseball in innings pitch out of the bullpen. Yes, they're leading all of baseball in ERA out of the bullpen. That's a tough trend to continue. You don't have good stats like that out of winning teams when you get to the end of the year and you're leading in both. So if they can make some changes in their rotation and pitch better, then they have a, a well-balanced chance to make another deep run. I think the White Sox are the most rounded team. I do think that. I think from their starting to their relief to their offense. Um, but right now, I, I don't think it's out of, out of reach for the Yankees to win a division. I don't think that the Boston Red Sox could have continued the way they were going with their starting pitching, and it's starting to show some cracks. So um, it's going to be a dogfight. And and if I had to if I had to pick one team right now and and lay it all on the line, I, I probably would go uh, between. I, I'd go between the, the Chicago White Sox and um, 
I, I would probably pick them right now, but so much can change. I mean, they're in a little bit of a low. They got such a big lead. It's hard to, to stay locked in. And I know they've lost a lot of close games lately, but watch out for the trend that I was talking about with the Rays. If that trend continues, I don't know how you make a deep run with, with a bullpen that's exhausted. I think they have 15 guys on the IL, 15 pitchers. So it is amazing what you're saying. And yes, don't ever count them out. I never will anymore. But it'll be it, that trend has to change. Okay, John. Luis Severino comes back for the Yankees. And we've seen this trend with the last three World Series winners. Starters going into the bullpen and pitching big, whether it was Evaldi and Price for Boston, Corbin with the Nationals, Urias last year with the Dodgers. That's becoming now the norm with the way these bullpens have worked. You got to do whatever it takes to win a championship. A guy like Severino, do you think the Yankees would be in a better spot? You know, trying to ramp him up and get him to a point where he's starting games this late in the year, real, real dicey. You think he can go down that road and maybe be a difference maker for the Yankees if he's right out of the pen? I think so, but the the, the hard part is getting him up and down, right? Well, that's the hard part. It's, it's hard to, to kind of secure innings every once in a while. I think you pick your spots. Here's what I would say. In a best of seven series, if he can be your four starter and give you four innings, then you're basically throwing a bullpen game anyways. Because you're fine with Cole. I think you're fine with Tyone. I think there is plenty of opportunities with the way that – I don't even know what this um, – I mean, this, I know it's not Gil, but Gil is so talented. He's got I, good never, stuff, John. He's got yeah. really good stuff. So there, there are many more options than they once had. Uh, but the Yankees, if they continue to kind of eat up certain innings and use those guys and get Chapman right, I don't know um, if it, it doesn't look great for, for Britain. But, yes, you can use them in chunks. But you can't use him in like three out of five games. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to pick your spot that you're going to utilize your best opportunity and use the most chunk you can rather than think you can use them three times out of six times because that would be harder for him. There are a lot of Mets fans very bummed out about their team. Think about it, John. A month ago, they were comfortably ahead in the NL East. It was to the point where, you know, you wondered if the Braves or the Phillies could get back in this division. The Braves, they make a couple of trades. They survive the loss of Acuna. They're rolling. Then you see the Mets. They can't score runs. Is that your big takeaway from why this team went from being, you know, comfortably ahead in the NL East to now they need basically an inside strength to make the postseason? I know they got a lot of Marlins and a lot of Nationals on the schedule. I don't see the Braves with the quality of baseball they're playing, yucking up six and a half games. So is it as simple? I know DeGrom's out. That's a big factor. Don't get me wrong. He's the best in the business. Lindor has missed time. I thought the Mets were going to be one of the better offensive teams in baseball. I'm stunned with the way they've swung the bats this year. Stunned. Yeah, especially at home. I don't understand it. The home park ballpark has gotten to the point where you got to feel like it's either in their heads or it's just something that, I am I am all over what you're saying. I, I think the biggest disappointment has been offensively. And yes, there's been tremendous injuries to the core of their team. But the games that always add up are the games when you're getting great pitching and you don't win those close games and you don't win those two to ones and three to twos. And those offense, the offense has a lot of pressure on them. So I was one of those. Again, I picked the Mets. Um, 
And, For and a Braves guy, I feel like you love the Mets every year. That's like a trend with Johns. I feel like you're a very, you were very bullish on their rotation. I feel like John Smoltz has been very supportive of the Mets the last couple of years. Yeah, I have. And, and, and I've always had the caveat with if they stay healthy and it hasn't happened. That trend has to change. You can't year in and year out get a new crop of guys and still find yourself in the same I- I- injuries. That To me, the randomness goes away. So it either becomes something that is connected either to training or, yeah, there's some fluke injuries. But but to me, the Mets have put themselves in the best situation year in and year out with the most opportunity to take advantage of it, and they haven't been able to do it. This year will probably sting more than ever if they're not able to crawl and get back in it or, or find their way in the playoffs because I thought they did the most in the offseason – they covered every area. They, they. I thought they made the best best moves, and it, it just to this point hasn't worked out. And I, I'm probably going to jump right back on them again next year, or maybe I won't. For the sake of Mets fans, I'll I'll leave it alone and I'll pick somebody else because uh, every year it seems to be kind of the same story with injuries. Okay, you love a good pitcher. Jacob Degrom's as good as they come right now. He's the best in the business. He took it to a point, though, John, where he was throwing 96, 97. Then I'm watching these first couple of games, and it's insane. He's throwing 99. He's throwing 100. He's throwing 101. And he's a tall, skinny dude. So he's not built like, you know, Cole from, you know, that the, the yeah. legs and how stout he is. Or Clemens, going back to when Roger Clemens was throwing a baseball. You almost think a guy like DeGrom, maybe this is just golf course chatter and guys, you know, Mets fans frustrated with the injuries bringing this to my attention and it makes you think a little bit. Would DeGrom be better suited throwing 96, 97, knowing he's won a Cy Young that way? Like, is it a must for him to throw max effort 100, 101, seeing how the injuries in some way have taken their toll? No, and I think he's going to have to learn that. I'm not saying this is the reason the injuries are happening, but you, you, one plus one sometimes is two. And when you learn he's so athletic, and that's the reason he's so dominant, because he's connected to his body. And when you can learn to pitch with gears, I call it like a 10-speed bike. Justin Verlander was a 10-speed bike pitching. He could pitch at 91, then 94, then 97. When he needed 99, he had it. That takes a lot to trust and learn in today's style when the clubs are asking you to rev the engines. I've been saying it from the mountaintop for 12 years now. The epidemic has not changed. It won't change. We thought we had all the smart people with all the smart answers, with all the answers to the test to say this will cut down injuries. It hasn't done it. I say this because I'll say it again. When you have a tachometer on your engine, and there's a reason why in the RPM there's a red line, stay in that red line with your engine. See how long you're going to run your car before your engine blows. And I think pitchers pitch too much in the red line area. Their RPMs are too high. And yes, it looks good. And yes, they can dominate. But for how long? And so I think for DeGrom has established a level that I'm sure he wants to stay at. And we've never seen anything like it. But for the long term and longevity, I think you're right. I think you can win a ton of games at 95 to 97. Yes, you might get hit a little bit. But then when you want the reserve and you have the reserve, you can take it. And, you know, for my whole career and in our generation, we were taught longevity. We were taught pitch 250 innings. 
I never maxed out a pitch, I don't think, one time in any one of my starts. That's the reason I think I kept my fastball for 21 years amongst four elbow surgeries and a shoulder surgery. So I think it can be done, but the reward system has to change. The clubs have to change because the players are only doing what the clubs are asking them to do. You think about that Hall of Fame career of yours, throwing 94, 95 pretty effectively, efficiently for a long period of time. And I know this is a game you probably don't want to hear about, but I wouldn't be doing my job, John Smoltz, if I didn't bring it up. Do you still look back on game five, 1996? Is the best game you ever pitched? Yeah, you know why it was the best game I ever pitched? Most people would ask me that question. I'd go right to 1997 games, you know, game set or 1991 game seven against the Minnesota Twins. I, when I started that game five, my tank was empty. I had nothing. Matter of fact, every inning I told Glavin, I got nothing. I'm, I'm backing up sliders. He goes, and that's something you feel, John, right in the bullpen, right? Like you're, you're warming up, you're getting loose and you're like, damn, I don't have it today. I mean, that year, 1996 was incredibly personally. I threw about 257, 256 innings in the regular season. And then another 40 in the postseason. And the 40 in the postseason, I tell people all the, way, all the time, it's like 80. Every postseason inning I pitch, I'm pi- I pitch like everyone's pitching today. Max effort, like that total attention. You don't know if you're going to pitch again, so you can't approach a playoff game like, ah, I got 20 more starts or five more starts. So every inning, to me, effort-wise, was like two and a half innings for a regular season game. And so when I got to game five, I knew, of course, the teeter-totter effect. We win that game, maybe our chances go up. We lose that game, you know, we saw the rest. I had nothing, and I was able to get my way through that game against one of the stingiest, most professional lineups we ever faced because they never swung. They made us work. I threw, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 140 pitches and lost one to nothing. With an unearned run, might I right. add. Yeah, the umpire, the umpire would it. move on a, on a foul ball down the line, and then Cecil Fielder hit a, uh, a a double after the air. Yeah, so that game haunts me because I know what that meant to us. We win back-to-back World Series. Maybe we run the table like the Yankees did, four out of five. We lose that that series. We're never we never win again. The Yankees go on to win four out of five, and it, of course we, we talk about them and, and the greatness that they were. That could have been us, because then after that year, we traded a bunch of our good players because we had just lost the World Series. Had we won the World Series, we keep those players. Ninety nine, you faced that team. Did it feel different in ninety nine because the Yankees were already at that point so established? Because remember. 96, you guys took on the Yankees. You guys were the big, bad Atlanta Braves. The Yankees were this upstart team that kind of came out of nowhere, and they're down to nothing going back to Atlanta. 99, that was like the big battle, right? Like the battle of the 90s. Who's going to be a team in the 90s? Did did you get to that 90s point, like in 99, where it was like, wow, the Yankees we played in 96, they now are like feeling their oats. They're just a totally different team. Yeah, you know, we knew what, obviously, what was was going on. Um, We kind of, I don't want to say limped in, but we were beaten up getting into the well, World Series. Well, that Mets Series was tough, John. That was yeah. a very tough series. We, we lost a couple players and and to injuries, but we had the lead in all three of those games. The first three games against the Yankees, we were leading, and we lost all three of those games and eventually got swept. I lost to Clemens three to nothing, and I I pitched that game and think struck out twelve and. Uh, 
you know, we had, we didn't score a run. So in the, in the sense of, of what you're asking, we were defeated once we blew those games that we had the lead because we, we were competing at that level and we were kind of surprising everybody. We weren't the 1996 team by any stretch, uh, but we got swept. And I, I tell people all the time, it was, it was the closest four game sweep you've ever seen in your life because three of those games, we had the lead and, and, and probably could have made the case to, to win that. So basically what you're telling me is Mariano Rivera, that's the difference sometimes. Oh. When you got that guy in the bullpen and it's game set match. There you go. Absolutely. Because he, he single-handedly, it's the chicken and the egg, right? When everyone talks to me about Mariano Rivera, if the Yankees aren't good enough to get to him, Mariano Rivera is a, is a good and very great closer that we don't talk about historically as the greatest. And because he was the greatest, when they got to him, it was over. And he was able to do that year in and year out. Final one. And we like to have some fun with the odds, John Smoltz. And we know you're an outstanding golfer. You wouldn't have been proud of my performance today at the win, but that's okay. Listen, <laughs> it was the first time playing the course. We, we held our own. It was better than yesterday. And hopefully there's progress. I say the over-under for aces for the rest of your life on the golf course is 0.5. Is that line too low or should I put it at one and a half? I think you should put it at one and a half. I only I like it. I like the greediness. I'm proud. That's why you're a Hall of Famer, bud. That's why. The only reason the only reason I say that is my last hole in one until recently, and it was my eighth one, was in Vegas. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It was in Vegas. It was at a par four at Shadow Creek, the only one in the in the in the history of the club is number eleven, about three hundred and thirty four yards, and I hold it out with a driver and it was and then I didn't get another hole-in-one for 13, 14 years. I figured, well, I'm done because I just got one on a hole-in-one and on a par four. Well, at Michael Jordan's course about seven, eight months ago, I got one at the Grove to kind of to kind of undo the seal. So that's why I say one and a half because I think with the rate at which I play, I'm going to have a ton of chances. Good good Lord, if I stay healthy and I'm, I'm 54 and um, – and I play when I can. I play anywhere between 36 and 54 holes a day when I get the time to play. So wow, there's a lot of opportunities for those holes in one. So I'm going to say one and a half. I love the over. I'm pounding the over because, listen, <laughs> when you're a Hall of Famer on the diamond, you're taking those talents to the golf course. And not a bad broadcasting career either, for that matter, John. Listen, thanks so much for the time, man. We'll be watching over the next couple of weeks. I know you got a ton of games coming up. And hopefully it's a busy month for you. In the Bronx. You know, October in the Bronx kind of sounds nice, John. Just saying. Uh, a lot of great golf, too, in, in uh, New oh, York. Oh, yes. So. Liberty, Liberty National awaits. I, I think yeah. it awaits, John Smoltz. Just saying. I will have the American League this year. So wherever the Yankees go, I will go for nice. Fox. So as long as they go, and of course, all the way to the World Series. So every year we flip-flop. This year I have the American League. And uh, so I'm sure I will be... Uh, uh, following closely the New York Yankees. I think I've done somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 games already for the Yankees nationally. So I pretty much feel like I've got, uh, I've got them covered. Well, John, hit them straight. Continued success. Thanks for a couple minutes, okay? My pleasure. That's the Hall of Famer, John Smoltz. You can watch John across MLB Network studio programming. Pause. MLB Network will feature the Dodgers and the Padres on Thursday night. Cubs and White Sox on Friday night. We got voicemails coming up. We got a couple more surprises from our show from the Encore in Sin City, New York, New York on the road. Come right back.
So, folks, before we get to voicemails, how good was John Smalls, by the way? And listen, John Smalls, you want to talk about one of the fiercest competitors that you would want playing for your team, that you would want on the mound in a big game. Smaltz is exactly that. And he's terrific on TV. I know some of the Yankee fans don't like him. Uh, he roots against my team, blah, blah, blah. He's good at what he does. He's really, really good at what he does. That's a guy who could pitch for my team any day of the week. But thinking about John Smoltz, imagine if the Atlanta Braves won the 96 World Series. How much history changes and how differently you feel, how much, you know, the course of years to come is altered. It's like one of those, like, fork-in-the-road type of moments. The Yankees down 0-2, an upstart team against the team that was supposed to be the dynasty, the team that was supposed to be the team in the 90s. Changed everything. And then the Yankees go and win four straight, they win in 98, and even though those games are close in 99, the Braves had no chance in hell. I mean, let's call it like it is. The Braves had no chance against that Yankee team. Yankees are too good. 98 team was the best, but the 99 team was pretty damn good. That Chili Davis added to that lineup. Yeah, Clemens. Clemens was pitching game four. They basically put him in like the, the, the comfort game, the cushion game, because of El Duque and Coney and El Duque. Oh, who am I blanking on? Petty. <laughs> giving you El Duque twice. Anyway, if my brain is a little fried. The Yankee game will do it for you. Voicemail time. And in case you're wondering, how do I get in touch with New York, New York? You should know by now. You absolutely should know by now. But in case you're wondering, 917-382-1151. Yankees four and a half up on the Oakland A's. What a time to be alive. All right, voicemail time. Let's hear it. What do we got? JJ, Charlie, and Elmhurst. Oh, well, nothing comes easy with this team, but hey, 11 in a row. This Yanks, they put themselves in a good position of, in terms of uh, playoff positioning, in terms of the first wild card. I don't know what division, but call me back on that matter probably after this end of the road trip but uh but the problem is uh i think all yankee fans were spoiled to have mariano rivera closing games for this team it was like come easy or when he blows a save he's just like oh but he's blows it quickly so it's not as painful as this but boy chapman i don't know what the hell is his problem is he i don't know what the what is what kind of like correction you need to make but this is a problem this is a problem in Kansas I mean he's not throwing uh strikes with this fastball with the play I mean especially coming back from whatever injury was uh problem with is that uh when you like look searching for stuff especially in closing games that's a problem and I'm gonna tell you I have right now in my trust of chat and it just low as it, low as it gets. Uh, even with green, we have a big home run there as well. I mean, who's, who do you trust in this bullpen? I, I'm going to say, build this bullpen. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. Take the 11 in a row, but Chapman, oh, I'm going to tell you, not a good, not a, not, not easy. That's a problem. That's a problem. Charlie or all this Chapman is a heart attack waiting to happen at this point in time. I'm not going to fight you on that. But when you win 11 games in a row, you win 11 games in a row. And listen, will it get to a point for the Yankees where they got to think long and hard about Aroldis Chapman pitching late at the end of these games in tight game situations? Yes, yes, and yes. 
The Yankees are going to keep running Chapman out there for now. But come playoff time, like in a one-game scenario, you're playing a Red Sox. You've got a one-run lead in the ninth inning. Do I have the utmost confidence that Aroldis Chapman is going to go three up and three down? Hell no. He's lost that. Especially considering the last two postseasons, he's given up monster home runs. Brasso last year with the Rays, two years ago with Altuve. And that version of Chapman was pitching a lot better than this version of Chapman. It's why if you're Aaron Boone, you have to be aggressive with the way you manage the bullpen. He can be your closer, but you need a little safety net. And on Tuesday night, Wandy Peralta was the safety net. And you ain't kidding. You go from Mariano Rivera to anybody else, you start noticing the difference. And the Yankees for years had really good closers after Mariano. Soriano was good for a year. Robertson was good for a couple of years. Chapman was good for a couple of years. Miller, Batances, but they ain't number 42. There's only one number 42. Well, there's Jackie and there's Mariano. Sorry, Mo Vaughn doesn't count. Who's up next? Hey, JJ, this is Eric from Syracuse. And uh, start with a positive. 11 in a row, first time since the 80s. Also going to be playing an Oakland team that's lost 8 out of 10, so hopefully we can go out west and crush their spirit. But uh, for the negative side, um, we got about a month to figure out the bullpen uh, roles here because Chapman cannot be the closer in October if the Yankees make it there because uh, he will blow playoff games the way he's going. So my vote is uh, for Lasagna to be the closer. So, hey, let's just uh, start working this in. We've got a whole month to figure it out. I don't know what you do with Chapman, but Lasagna has to be the closer. So that's all there is. But You're not going to see that, though, immediately. Because I think Aaron Boone is going to give Aroldis Chapman every last opportunity to go and be the guy. Remember, the Yankees are paying Aroldis Chapman a boatload of money. That factors into the equation, too. They want Chapman to be the closer. Am I going to trust him in the playoffs? No. But again, look at the last three World Series winners. And think about the ways they deployed and utilized their bullpen. They used a lot of different dudes including starters. Sale, Price, Ovaldi, they all got monster outs for Boston three years ago. Corbin, two years ago for the Nationals. Nationals don't win the World Series without Patrick Corbin pitching out of the bullpen. And last year with Urias, he closed the World Series, for goodness sakes. That's the mindset. If it means you're using a Walter Chapman earlier, if it means you're using him where he's got somebody warming up behind him, so be it. Whatever it takes. That's the mentality and that's the mindset for the Yankees. Whatever it takes. And keep winning games. When you have 11 in a row, it's easier to deal with a game like Tuesday night, especially in a win. Who's next? JJ escaped from Queens. So crazy Yankee game to me. Wandy Peralta's got balls of steel just coming in the game. I love the move. Chappie's sweating. What the hell is going on with him sweating? He's got to find a way to stop this. Send him to a dermatologist. He's got to find a way to stop the sweating. It's unbelievable. But it's, to me, it's a classic game that they would have lost in the first half. And my other point is that um, Rizzo, we were all riding high. I know you love Rizzo, and, and everybody kind of loves Rizzo from the standpoint of a lefty contact hitter at first base. But he's kind of on this little cold streak here right now. And I, I don't know. I'm kind of wondering if he kind of spoke too soon on him. And maybe... I don't know. He's kind of declined in his career. You look at his, his stats for the whole year. He was batting 240 around on the Cubs, and maybe he's not a guy you want to lock up for three to four years. I don't know. 
Uh, all right, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Last thing I want to say, just for my Mets fans, that's a really hate nothing. I just a smug, loser-ass Mets fans. And I just want to say, screw you. The Mets are so embarrassing. The Yankees will always rule this city. Let's go. Listen, I was dumb enough to bet the Mets tonight. So, I mean, I'll just leave it at that. I was dumb enough to go and walk up to the Win Sportsbook after what was a great day. Golf, the pool, I'm in my element. Unfortunately, I had the passing of the great Charlie Watts, and I'm jamming out to a bunch of stones. So that was kind of getting me through the day. I'm very much at peace. And then I actually thought it was a genius idea to go and bet the Mets. So I, I am not going to be at the liberty of talking all sorts of smack to the Mets fan. You're a Yankee fan, you want to do so? Be my guest. When it comes to Rizzo, calm down. He's been cold since he's come back off the COVID list. Remember, he did have COVID. He's going to hit. He's going to be fine. He's too good a player. So he's been bad now for the last four or five games. Anthony Rizzo is going to come up big for the Yankees in September and beyond. He's the guy that I want on this roster beyond next year. The guy is a winning player. No ifs, no ends, no buts. He's a winning player. So I'm calming you down a little bit on the Riz. Who's next? Hey, JJ. Love the show. Charles and Queens here. Uh, thanks for taking the voicemail. Boy, what a Yankee game tonight. Chapman does not make it easy. Always seems like we're sweating out with him. Happy we got 11 in a row. Let's move forward. Got the A's next. Let's put in some work. Um, quick question about the NFL. Not sure if you had a chance to look at the week one, week one lines yet. Um, I'm already looking at them. I'm wondering if any games you like, or is it too early? Kind of like in the Colts minus two and a half. One of those games I feel like one of the Colts favored, um, with all the injuries they've had, but they're at home. Feels like everybody's going to be on Seattle and get the Colts still favored. I kind of been looking at that game, wondering if you have anything that you're liking already. Um, thanks again and, uh, love the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks, man. I appreciate that, Charles. And yes, I think it's too early to be like completely dialing in on NFL week one lines. Did I take a peek when I was at the sports book earlier this evening? Yeah, I took a peek. But like, am I ready to lock in wagers? Am I ready to lock in my super contest plays? No. And I'd be careful with Seattle. Seattle historically under Carroll and with Wilson at quarterback has always been a team that has done very, very well coming from West Coast to East Coast. Look at the numbers. So there are a lot of times you get Seattle in like that square sucker spot. They come to the East Coast and they play really well. Too much uncertainty with Indianapolis for me to say without hesitation, I like them in week one. Again, I might in two weeks, but I'm not ready to lock in any week one bets. Not at all. I'm going to enjoy my Labor Day weekend and then I'm going to lock in my futures officially and then that Thursday and the Friday pod, all systems go. Unlocks of the week, super contest plays, all sorts of craziness. Then we rock. Then we rock. Two to go. What do we got, sir, Rudy? Hey, John. Justin in Miami. Yankees are hot. Things are looking good. But I got to say, you know, this just shows the problems of the baseball system right now. All we hear about is how the regular season is supposed to matter. And you could have in both leagues, well, you are going to have in the NL, but in the AL, the top two teams could be a division winner and a wild card. So how is this system fair if the, if the second place team in terms of overall record is always the wild card? Wouldn't it be more equitable if you just based it overall on record? I mean, that way, the, you know, the Astros and the White Sox, they also wouldn't be playing. They'd be playing for things down the stretch because they'd also be playing to avoid 
that wild card round. It, it seems to me, I mean, in the NL, it's even worse, right? I mean, you could have a 105-win team having to play a one-game playoff where you'd have an 84-win Philly or Brave team in the playoffs. I mean, that would be the equivalent if in the NCAA tournament they just said, oh, we're going to give the ACC champ a one seed every year, regardless of what the record is. It makes zero sense. It actually diminishes the regular season for more teams. I think this season has shown that baseball really needs to reevaluate how they award who's in that wild card round and who's not. All right, love to catch your thoughts on it, man. Take care. It is a very fair critique, and it's an honest, reasonable assessment. Here's the problem. If you're going to have divisions, this is always the way I have felt. If you're going to have divisions, they got to count for something. And baseball has that. The division and winning a division now keeps you out of the one-game playoff. That's what I like so much about the giant Dodger dynamic. The Dodgers are the more talented team. We all expect the Dodgers to be in the World Series when it's all said and done. But guess what? They don't beat out the Giants. They got to go and play a one-game playoff. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying it's equitable to use your vocabulary. But guess what? Go win your division. The Yankees. I don't care if they're four or five games better than the Boston Red Sox. If they don't beat out the Tampa Bay Rays, you got to play in that win-or-go-home scenario. And if you want to go to your system, which is fair and reasonable, then eliminate the divisions. Then why have them? They shouldn't matter. Then go, boom, one, two, three, four, five, wild card. Then you can approach it that way. But then you got to play a balanced schedule. You can't have a situation where the Chicago White Sox are getting all these games with Kansas City and Minnesota. Or Houston is getting all these games with Texas. I mean, everybody in AL East is playing the Orioles. So, to me, if you're going to go and eliminate divisions, balanced schedule. It's never going to happen because they like the geography dictating, all right, it's easy to play here. You have the natural rivalries and you kind of take it from there. They're never going to do it. It's unfair, but it's just never going to happen. Last, certainly not least, what do we got? How you doing, JJ? This is Conrad from West Milford. Love your show. I've been listening since day one. It's great. I wanted to talk about the Mets for a minute and their free fall. And I get it. They had a rough schedule in August, yada, yada, yada. But what kills me is how little accountability there is on this team and how little accountability there always has been in the Sandy Alderson era. Familia blows a bunch of saves. They keep trotting them out there. Diaz blows a bunch of saves. They keep trotting them out there. Conforto's batting 199. They keep trotting them out there. They, You know, the other day, Figueroa, when you had him on, made a point about Bellinger batting eighth. Do you think the Mets would ever do something like that? They never do that. They will never do that. They'll never uh, hold any of their players accountable, send anybody down, sit anybody down to make a point. They just let the same shit keep going on day after day after day, and then they keep trotting at the same players day after day after day like if it's going to go away. It's like me when I draft somebody high in fantasy and I keep trying to play them every week to justify my pick. That reminds me of what they're doing and it just drives me fucking nuts they need to get a new president of baseball operations get sandy out get somebody in there that knows what they're doing and has the clout to hold people accountable let me know what you think thanks jj conrad appreciate it i think a lot of that is fair and i do think at times 
certain guys on the Mets have been given a little bit too much leeway as they are going through struggles. And they have still had opportunities to play when maybe they shouldn't have had those opportunities to play. It has torpedoed this team that Conforto, McNeil, and Smith have not been the players that we thought they were going to be going into this year. That combined with a terrible season from Lindor where he has missed time and they're a better team when he plays, but nobody in their right mind thought that Francisco Lindor would be hitting 220. And then you lose the ground for a couple of months, it kind of all adds up and it kind of all snowballs in many ways. I understand your lack of confidence with this front office. I totally get it. Now, going into the year, did I think the Mets had enough to be a playoff team? I did. I thought they'd be playing October baseball. I didn't think they were going to beat out the Braves. I thought they were going to be one of the two wildcard teams. They have the built-in excuse with the ground. But there are a lot of signs that are pretty obvious if you watch the team on a day-in and day-out basis that are alarming, that are troubling, and that signal, if I'm owning the team, that change in a significant way needs to happen in the offseason. Proof's in the pudding. All right. Trivia time. So it's trivia Q&A with JJ. We like that. It's better than Chris Dremsky. It's close, but it's better. I'm coming off a good performance. Now, I've had a whole lot work in my favor here over the last 48 hours. Great trip in Vegas. The win golf course was incredible. And I played better today than I did at TPC. I mean, TPC kicked my ass. Just, you hit the ball straight, you get punished. Same at the win, but I hit the ball a lot better. So good golf. Good shoe of craps, good times, just good vibes being back in Vegas for the first time since 2019. Can those good vibes continue with some trivia? We got a couple. So let's see how this shakes out. What do we got? Hey, JJ, Sean from Long Island here. Thanks for taking a call. I got some Q&A for JJ in just a moment. The first, uh, you had a caller last podcast uh, really get on you for your reaction to the car loss and injury. Um, to the Jets, you know, you're kind of saying that the Jets weren't going anywhere anyway. Uh, to be honest, at first, I kind of agree with the caller. Uh, but, you know, you're a Dolphin fan. I understand that. Uh, I think your reaction is a little cold. But you're, you're up front with that, you know, saying, you know, Jets need a hard dose to reality. And while that's true, you know, I think it's just about Jets fans wanting a moment this year. You know, they're going to be miserable. They're going to lose a bunch of games. That's understandable. But during those losses, you know, you want a sack fumble by Carl Lawson. You want a reason to, you know, get up and cheer if you're at the game. So I think it's just such a bummer that, I think it's okay to rationalize the Jets are going to lose a lot of games, but just be so bummed out that some of those, you know, moments that the Jets fans are starving for kind of won't be there, at least not as many moments. But that's where the uh, caller was coming from on that one. But quickly, a Q&A for JJ, back to some happier Jets time. At the end of 2004, Curtis Martin won the rushing title. He won that title by precisely one yard over another running back, and that running back was irate with his coach for not scheming the game plan to get him the rushing title. I'm wondering, J.J., who came in second place to Curtis Martin for the league rushing title at the end of the 4 season? He was irate with his uh, rather esteemed head coach. Thanks, J.J. Take care. Really, really good question. I have a couple of ideas. I'm going to let them marinate for a second. When we come back, we'll see if I can nail Sean's outstanding trivia question. That was an excellent, excellent question. So I'm thinking about the 2004 season, and I'm thinking about running backs that would have had a whole lot of carries, that would have had a whole lot of success, 
And a running back that would have been ticked off and disenchanted with his head coach. My first guess, and I've learned in life, you always go with your initial gut feel. If you don't, you're not living life the right way as far as I'm concerned. I'm going with my gut feel right out of the gate, boys. I'm going to say that the running back, Curtis Martin, beat out by a yard for the rushing title. A Hall of Famer. The bus, Jerome Bettis. Mm. That's painful. You know, I was, I don't want to say super confident. Like, I didn't pimp that like a Ruggio door home run. But I was, like, cautiously optimistic about that. I'm taking another stab at this one. 2004, rushing title. All right, guess number two. I am going to say that Curtis Martin beat out Ladanian Tomlinson. Mm. 0 for 2. Running backs to the 2000s. Oh, geez. Not feeling good about this one, Sarudi. I'm actually asking for a hint here. So what do you got? How about this? He was on the cover of Madden, I believe, the year after. Oh, Madden cover boys. Hmm. Madden cover boys. Sean Alexander. (laughs) Took me long enough. Boom. Took me long enough. But you know what? Third time, the charm. Okay. We got one more trivia question before we welcome in Arthur Caesar. What do we got? JJ, Larry in Florida. I got two trivia questions here for you tonight. First one is up. Salvador Perez is on pace to hit 40 homers. Who's the last catcher in the major leagues to have a 40 home run season? National League catcher between 2000 and 2010. The second one is of the 28 guys that hit 500 career homers, who's got the lowest Lowest career career batting average average with 500 home runs? And then we're talking about a catcher, the last one that hit 40 homers from 2000 to 2010. These are some excellent, excellent questions from our buddy Larry in Florida. Excellent questions. National League catcher, 40 home runs, 2000 to 2010. See, I was going to throw Mike Napoli out there, but Napoli is an American League catcher, not a National League catcher. National League catcher, 40 home runs, 2000 to 2010. Terrific question. Terrific, terrific question. My first guess, and I do not feel good about this at all, by the way, can't be Piazza. There's, 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 there's no way it's Piazza. I, I mean, I'm not even counting that as a guess. I'm, there's no way it's Piazza. He was close, but no. no I no. am going to say Javi Lopez. Let's go. Wow. That's See? A great, that's, a, that's a great job. That's a, that's a hell of a guess. Hell of a guess. 2003 hit 43 home runs. I was thinking it was 2001, but nonetheless, a win is a win, a cover is a cover. Lowest career batting average with 500 home runs. I think it's Dave Kingman. See, I don't know if Kingman got to 500. Don't know if he got to 500. 
This is where Sarudi, I need a little help here. American League or National League player? He, this, I mean, this was a long time ago. By the way. That's okay. I like a challenge. Um, yeah, he hit 256, if that gives you any help. No, not at all. Not at all. The batting average is not going to be uh, the telltale sign now. 256, not very great. Uh, let's see here. What other hooks can I give you? What, what did you ask me what we played for? Uh, American League team or National League team? Uh, American League. American League team, 500 home runs. I'm going to say Harmon Killebrew. Wow. Woo! Hell of a job out of you. Let me tell you something. The kid is hot tonight. That is a good sign for the craft tables later. Let me tell you something. I'm pulling Javi Lopez and Harmon Killebrew out of my ass. Holy moly! This was your most impressive uh, Q&A with, with JJ of, since we've started doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe right hey, now. Hey, all I'm going to say, come get some. Come get some. Trivia Q&A, I just kicked your ass tonight. Oh, baby. So we transition from trivia to a guy that I've known now for a long, long time, but we have actually never met face-to-face until this evening, we needed to set this up. This is long overdue. And now he is in the humble abode here at the Encore as we are doing this podcast. One of our favorite handicappers from the Link Sportsbook, one of the odds makers over there and a good friend of mine, the great Art the Caesar, live and in living color. What's up, buddy? JJ, it is a pleasure to be here, my friend. You know, like you said, this is very much long overdue. You know, this this is phenomenal that we finally got to meet, man. Couple of cocktails, hang out, watch the Yankee game, talk about football. This is really great, man. It's a pleasure to be here as now, always. Now, I want you to set the stage for everybody because, listen, I can kind of transcribe it and do the best that I can. Uh, but it's me. It's coming from a first-person narrative. How would you describe John Jastrzemski watching the ninth inning of that Aroldis Chapman meltdown into Wandy Peralta and watching the Yankees and the Braves. I, it set the stage for everybody. If they were watching it, the win encore, what they were getting. All right, folks. First of all, you got to understand we're in the win encore. It's a beautiful sports book. You know, we're sitting there. We basically got a whole row to ourselves. Big, big screen. Yankees are on. They got the volume on. And I'm sitting back. I'm relaxed. I'm hanging out. JJ is as nervous as you can be. Turning to me every second. Oh, this has got to this, this, that, and the other. He's managing from the sports book. It was phenomenal. It was awesome to sit with a great Yankee fan and sit there and just be like, hey, man, we need this. He's he's yelling at Chapman. He's yelling at Odor. It was phenomenal. It was a, it was a really good time. And we got the win. And he got to cash his ticket, which is the most important thing. That's a thing. whole lot of winning right there, bro. That's number one. And number two, could you imagine if we were watching this game, if it was in the middle of October? Could you imagine if that were a game that were played in the middle of October, how, like, on edge? I mean, I was on edge. It's the middle of August. October be another level, dude. JJ, you, you said it perfectly. You said, how can people say baseball is not fun, not exciting? Oh, I hear that. It, it, it blows know, my mind. Like, that drama, every pitch, every pitch, this thought process, this decision-making, there's this game within the game. And listen. We love football. We love basketball. But like when I hear baseball is boring and then I watch a ninth inning like that, it drives me to drink, dude. Just exactly. Insane. Exactly. And like you said, if that was October, we would have been pacing around the sports book, screaming, yelling. We were screaming and yelling anyway. But yeah, don't ever say baseball is not, not exciting. 
Watch that game tonight. Very exciting. Okay, buddy. Now it's NFL go time. We are a couple of weeks away from the start of the season. Um, you and I were going over some of the teams that we like and some of the teams that we don't as we were digesting a little Yankee Brave baseball. Um, let's start here because you're taking these tickets. You're seeing who people are betting. Who right now, in your opinion, well, or the numbers, the numbers may back it up over at the link, who is like the trendy Super Bowl pick? Who is the team that everybody and their mother is rushing to bet to go and win the Super Bowl? Is there one that stands out? There is. And the team that I told you when we were sitting down there is the Cleveland Browns. Oh, boy. That's the, one of the teams I the, like going into the, the year. That does not make me feel good, buddy. Cleveland Browns are as trendy and sexy as it gets. We opened them 25 to 1. They went to 20 to 1. They go to 16 to 1 when they get clowny. Now at 12 to 1, I mean, they're right there. I would say they're our biggest liability. Cleveland is your biggest liability. Now, handicap this division for me. I think Pittsburgh's down. I think their offensive line stinks. I think the quarterback is basically playing the 17th and the 18th hole on an illustrious Hall of Fame career. I think Ben Roethlisberger is totally cooked. And I think this division comes down to the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. And Baltimore's been good to me over the last few years. They know how to win games in a regular season. But am I crazy to say that Cleveland should be favored in this division? I think they're the best team. I think they're the most complete team. I agree with you. I do think they're the best team, and I actually like the quarterback better. I like Baker better than Lamar. I'm well, he's not got a Lam- swag. Listen, yeah. here's the problem with Lamar. Lamar puts up big numbers. Lamar is great for fantasy football. If you put him in a situation where he is down in a game and you force him to throw the football, I do not trust him to throw the football well enough to go and play with the big boys. He's not going to throw it as good as Mahomes. He's not going to throw it as good as, let's say, a Brady or a Rodgers or whatever the case may be. His throwing down 10 or down 14 in a game, even though they came back against Tennessee in the playoffs last year, that to me is alarming. When I look at those two teams, we actually have them both at plus 125. The win of the so you guys have it dead even right dead now. Dead even. And, and I think it should be. I mean, you know, the coaching is probably better in Baltimore. Harbaugh's been there a long time. He's a great coach. I do, I do agree with you. Cleveland is more well-rounded. Baltimore's got better special teams, better kicker. But Lamar, I mean, Lamar, to me, is not as good as Baker. Baker gives them another dynamic, the Browns. They love him. He just has that swag. I didn't like Baker coming out of Oklahoma, but he's proved me wrong. All the signings. Beckham comes back healthy. See, Beckham coming back actually scares me a little it bit does. from a Brown standpoint. Call me crazy because Baker was in such a comfort zone down a stretch of last year, especially in the postseason. And listen, Odell is an incredibly talented wide receiver. We all know that. But he's one of those guys. He's like, dude, throw me the ball, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. And does that influence and maybe impact the rest of the Browns? It shouldn't. By default, it should actually make them a better team. But will it? That's kind of a million-dollar question. It is. You hope he's got his buddy Landry there. They're boys. You know, the LSU, you know, so you think he can maybe calm him down a little bit. Hey, listen, if Baker is the leader he's supposed to be, he'll rein that in. He'll say, listen, this is the way it goes. The balls are going to be displaced. And this is the other, you know, that's how it's going to be. But yeah, Cleveland is just the, the, the fact that I was, I thought we might even get to 10 to one when we get to kickoff. We're not going to get there. We're going to probably stick at 12 to one, but the, the, the money that has come on them for them to be cut in half like that and be, you know, it's not like they went from 75 to one to 51 where they don't have a chance to win the Super Bowl. The Browns have a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl. So big liability for us, Cleveland. Okay. So Cleveland's a big liability. I thought Buffalo was actually going to be your trendy team. When I kind of teed you up with like, oh, who's everybody betting on? Everybody I talk to seems to love the Buffalo Bills. Now, I think they're winning the division. 
I think Miami and New England are going to vie for wild card spots and they will be competitive teams. Allen is a stud. They're well coached. They're explosive. I look at their win total. Buffalo, minus 165 to win the division. I think they're going over 11 wins without hesitation. I think they're a legit Super Bowl team. I actually am fearful because they seem too sexy. I will say this. The Bills are one of those teams that when I look to put a future in, I want a team that's 10 to 1 or better. I understand, you know, Chiefs at 5 to 1, Tampa at 4.5 to 1. To me, there's never any value on that. The Bills have basically sat at 11 to 1 since we opened the number. It might have opened at 12 to 1 and moved to 11 to 1. I personally have a future on the Bills at 11 to 1. You know, I, I, I think the Bills, listen, they were in the AFC Championship game last year. They have a shot. I'm with you. I think Allen is you know, on his way to becoming one of the best quarterbacks in the league. If he's not already there, he's a nice MVP pick. You know, the, the Bills are going to control that division where Cleveland's going to have to fight it out with someone. So I like Cleveland's value. Or I'm sorry, I like the Bills' value at 11-1. I'm with you. Give me a team nobody's talking about right now. AFC or NFC. That you think is better than advertised. That you think can be a playoff team this year. I think the team, if we're going to talk about trendy and sharps that I've seen who like this team... I don't personally like them. Atlanta. People like Atlanta. They, I can understand that. They like the because over the seven coach. and a half. I can understand that because think about the division. New Orleans is not going to be as good. I'm sorry. I don't like the quarterbacks. I don't trust them, whether it's Winston throwing turnovers, Taysom Hill. I'm not sure he is an every down quarterback. Then you have a situation with Carolina. Carolina going to Sam Donald. I think you can find Atlanta or Carolina. And I think one of those teams, I'm not sure if both of them, but I think one of those teams is going to end up being pretty good. I think that's a big deal, and I, everyone loves the tight end. They think Pitts is going to be really good for Ryan. And seven and a half, listen, you got to pay minus 130 on the over, but 17-game schedule, if they go eight and nine, you win that over. So maybe not to make the playoffs, which, you know, there's a shot that can happen, but I've seen a lot of people I respect who come into my sports book who are taking Atlanta over seven and a half wins. Okay, so I'm sure the terms are going to be discussed. I don't know what they're going to be yet, but they're going to be terms, and it's going to be taken care of. Miami, New England, who has a better record? Their win totals are very similar. They're kind of make-miss playoffs odds. If you find them over at FanDuel Sportsbook or what you guys have over at the link, they're going to be quite similar. I'm going to ask you, Arthur Caesar, the Dolphins or the Patriots, who will win more games in 2021? <sighs> That's a tough one. I, You know, and I don't want to say this because I'm sitting across from you and you're a Dolphins fan. I do think it's the Dolphins. I really do. I think I think Tua breaks out. I love the coach. Obviously, we know Belichick and what you know the Patriots do. They signed a million guys, but who knows what their quarterback situation is? See, I worry is. about that with free agency. Anytime I see a team yeah. spend a boatload of money in free agency, more often than not, it doesn't work. You're right. I mean, how many times have the Redskins won free agency? You know, in a hundred years, and they never do anything. So, is Cam or Mac Jones going to be the guy? We don't know. You know, I, I'm with. I, I think it's the Dolphins. I really do. I do think Tua steps up this year, and I think it's the Dolphins. I would say the Dolphins are better than the Patriots, but it's going to be close. Okay, NFC East. I think the football team is the most well-rounded team in this division. I really do. I think they're the most well-rounded team. This is maybe the best team that Ryan Fitzpatrick has ever played on, with the exception of the 2015 Jets. Now, Dallas is going to score a ton of points. If Dak is healthy, they're going to put up numbers. They're going to be great for fantasy football, but I don't think they're going me and you. And I know you're a beloved Giants guy, but let's be honest with you, Giants. I don't love the quarterback. I think the offensive line is brutal. And the schedule is not conducive to me to going and winning a lot of games. 
I'm handicapping that division. And I see some people saying, oh, the Giants, four to one, what great value. Or, you know this, these casinos don't build themselves. There's a reason why you're getting the Giants at plus 400 to win the division. You think this is Washington's division? And where do you see the Giants this year? Would you put them over or under? Okay, so when I'm looking at the Giants, first of all, we had them at seven and a half. We moved them to seven. You got to pay 160 on the over. I, you know, minus one sixty. Minus one sixty. That's a hefty price. It is a hefty over. price. I Once mean, again, to go eight and, eight and nine, and if you hit seven and ten, you push. I'm with you. I don't like anything the offensive. Listen, I also think that the defense, which was great last year, maybe was a little overrated. Could step back. So, I probably would take plus one thirty on the under. Once again, you can push it seven and ten, six and eleven. Away we go. I'm with you on Washington. Washington, I'll say this is my favorite week one bet. Washington the at home. Now, everyone's going to be on, everyone's right there, gonna be on LA. Way. Let me stop you right there. We are now two, two and a half weeks away from week one. And I might have taken a peek and I might have taken a look at a few lines. I've looked at lines six, eight weeks ago when they put them out. When do you get to the point, though, when you specifically are like, all right, I'm ready to lock in week one bets? Because I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet either, but when I look at that game, Washington at home is getting one and a half. Everybody's betting the Chargers. I'm in that not going to take Washington. So everyone's going to be on the Chargers because of Herbert, because they're going to be another kind of, you know, trendy. trendy, sexy pick. Washington's always great at home. The defense is great. Fitzpatrick obviously gives them a boost at quarterback. I'm not going to take the one and a half. I'm going to take the plus 105 money line. And I'll tell you right now, they're going to be on a six point teaser for me. I'm going to take them plus seven and a half and connect it with another game. I, I already know that. I love Washington week one at home. I love them for the division. I'm with you. The Cowboys are going to score a lot of points. And who knows? Is Dak really that healthy? Their defense is terrible. Washington won the division last year. They controlled the division. I think it's still their division. What would be your advice to everyone first couple of weeks of handicapping the NFL? Because, you know, normally the Sharps get these lines straightened out by the end of the year. But I do believe at the beginning portion of the season, there's an opportunity where guys like me, I'll give you a perfect example. I got my ass whooped the first four or five weeks of the NFL season where I was 10, 11 games under 500 for my super contest plays. I like to go with a lot of the sharper lines. I like to sometimes read a little bit too much into it. Sometimes that's a blessing. Other times that's a curse. But I think early going in the year, you can take advantage of the books because of the lack of information that is out there. Do you think it's more likely early in the year you see a lot of these square plays end up hitting? Uh, yeah, you you can definitely see that. I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and this goes back to me like in Washington week one. Early in the season and late in the season anytime, take home teams that are getting points, home teams that are underdogs, home teams that normally play well at home. You can find an advantage there. You know, once again, L.A. is going to travel across the country, play that type of game against a really good defense. Everyone's going to be on the Chargers anyway. Listen, by game time, we might get plus 110, plus 115 on the money line for Washington. So I think there are ways to find advantages early in the season. I do think, though, it's always, as you know, Go against the public. Just be against the public. If you're against the public enough during the season, you're going to be okay. It's hard to get caught up early in the season. Just say, oh, this is a team I like, this, that, and the other. I think by four weeks in, you start to see who's real, who's not, injuries. But yeah, early in the season, I like home teams. Home teams getting points at home. Okay. AFC, everybody's rushing to bet Cleveland, you tell me. You like Buffalo, it seems like. Is Buffalo right now your your Super Bowl value for the AFC? I think so. I think when you look at uh, you know the Bills at 11-1, listen, it, it, 
I understand the Chiefs are going to be there. They just are. They're going to win their... It's not fun betting that. It, it's but not. Dude, I don't, I don't it's like not. betting Super Bowl losers, number one. Yep. Number two, I don't like betting teams that don't have great offensive lines. No. They don't have a great revamped. offensive line. Five new offensive linemen. Totally revamped. Obviously, we know what Mahomes is. He's the best player in the league. So, you know, you always got a shot with him. But I just think when it's a value standpoint... And listen, you, you could talk me into the Browns because they're 12-1. to 1. That's nice value, too. But I just think the Bills are going to control their division, win their games... Hopefully, if you have the Bills, maybe they're, you know, the second seed in the AFC. Maybe even they win the AFC. You never know. But from a value standpoint, 11-1 to is good on the Bills. I like okay, that. NFC, final one. Give me a team that you'll invest in, futures market. Tampa's a team to beat. We know that. They got Brady. They got a terrific defense. You're going to find somebody in the NFC. To me, it's one of the two teams out West. I think it's either the Niners or the Rams. And I'm trying to figure out between the two who I like a little bit more. I think they'll both be playoff teams. I think they're both going to have a lot of success. Is that where you're trending as far as one of those teams maybe being Tampa's biggest threat? It is. And to me, it's the Rams. Rams are 10 to 1. Good value. Once again, finding a team over 10 to 1. You get them right at 10 to 1. They lose Akers. Akers hurts. But I think Stafford helps them. Obviously, Stafford's better than golf. The defense is great. McVay is a good young coach. They're going to be ready. Now, listen, they are in that division. That division's brutal. That divi- but it's also can work out for them. They're going to play tough games every week. So you're going to look at it and say, you know, they're going to go through the gauntlet. I think the Niners will be good because they'll have all their injuries figured out. But who knows with their quarterback situation? If they don't go to Trey Lance early and Garoppolo loses them some games early, I don't like them. You know, Stafford's starting week one with the Rams. So I'd like the Rams at 10 to 1. That's the great art this season. Before we say goodbye, we're going to hit Jeff Money. And I will let you know who Jeff Money is on, and we will take it from there. So, so Rudy, last but not least, we'll close out the show with our pal, who unfortunately had the Atlanta Braves on Tuesday. My condolences. I love you, Money, but if you're going to lose that game... I ain't shedding any tears for you. What do we got? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be for Wednesday, the 25th. I got two plays for you. First play, money play. I'm going to go with the L.A. Dodgers, minus the 125 over the Padres. Now, I'm showing right now, remember, it's always listed pitches. I'm showing Blue Bueller versus Darvis. Bueller is 2-0 with a 1.74 ERA his last three outings. Darvis is 0-2 with a 6.89 his last three outings. Game number two, I'm going to go with the Angels. Minus the 150 over the Orioles will be Otami versus Kramer. Otami is 3-0 and with a 1.80 ERA his last three outings. And Kramer is 0-2 with an 8.49 his last three outings. Again, money play, I'm going to take the Dodgers minus the 125. And in the next game, I'm going to take the Angels minus the 150. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. All right, Jeff Money. So Jeff Money is rolling with the Angels tomorrow with Shohei Otani on the mound. Don't love the fact already, Art, that is going from 160 to 150. But then he's going with the Dodgers and with the way the Padres are playing. And we'll see what happens in this late night game. This game is going on as we speak right about now. Dodgers from 130 to 140. I got no problem with that Dodger play, do you? No, uh, I mean, you know. San Diego hasn't been good. Two and eight in their uh, two two and eight in their last ten. Dodgers nine and one in their last ten. And Bueller is so good, man. I mean, dude, he has been phenomenal for them this year. Yeah, phenomenal. I mean, San Diego, they're hanging on for dear life for that wild card. So yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to go against the Dodgers right now. San Diego trending down, LA trending up. Well, Art, don't be a stranger, buddy. Great having you here in person. I'm sure we'll catch up a ton throughout the season and. I don't know. I think we have to make a New York, New York podcast uh, revival here at some point during the season live from the desert. Sounds good? 
Love it, man. You know I'm always here for you, JJ, and I appreciate everything you do. And it's always a pleasure coming on with you, my friend. That's the great Art the Caesar. What a show. Live from the Win Encore here in Vegas. Great work by Art. Great work by Smoltzy. Fellas, fabulous job. We're back Thursday night after Yankees and A's. And I'm sorry, Mets fans. You still got a couple more weeks of this team. My condolences. JJ out. Be good, everybody.